Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Write that, write that down for me, Slay. Write that down for me, Slay. Hello from Burbank, California. Thank you for joining us once again for another episode of Write That Down on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Justin DePriate for FightGameMedia.com. I'm a staff writer at FWOnline.com, WrestlingObserver.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah and Cyberfight Inc. And I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, pro wrestling sociologist, pro wrestling broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Right on this week's show, we talked about the history of pro wrestling schools and pro wrestling literacy or pro wrestling education over the years. From Farmer Burns' mail order manual to Vringanya's camps run by Billy Robinson in the snowy depths of Minnesota, from the methods of guys like Eddie Sharkey and Brad Renegans to the rise of schools like the Monster Factory and the Johnny Rogers School, and all the wonderful details in between. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed on Spotify. Apple, Stitcher, Downcast, wherever you usually listen to your podcast, please hit the subscribe button because it helps us out very, very much. Thank you in advance. Uh, yeah. Enjoy the show. This week's edition, I want to talk about wrestling school. Wrestling mm-hmm. school. Because uh, I... Very recently, I had a chance to talk to um, younger, well, younger people in twenties and in the early thirties, mm-hmm. that young to me, that uh, were trying to be wrestling magazine or wrestling magazine editor, that you know, webmaster too, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. still studying wrestling history. They love it; they should do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the subject of wrestling school came up. That uh, I said there was no such thing as wrestling school until, say, 1980s. Then they go, right. but where did they, you know, then how did they, where did they learn wrestling or how to wrestle? Yeah. They said, there was no such thing as wrestling school until pre- pretty much 80s, you know, like right. mid 80s. Yeah. And uh, then how would wrestler become wrestler or how to learn how to, how to wrestle or how to work? And, uh, now, then the subject of wrestling business being such a closed society mm-hmm. thing, that portion need to be touched upon. That uh, uh, 
to, to be able to become a professional wrestler in 60s and 70s or 50s, you know, or, or the post-war popular culture, you know, the television wrestling and, you know, the wrestlers always been a TV celebrity somewhat, right? But mm. uh, how to be a wrestler, you have to know somebody who's already in the business or you have to be friends with somebody who knows somebody, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or get recommended. Or you have to be somebody who's outstanding athlete in high school or college mm-hmm. that they come and get you. Some you kind know? of background or reputation about right in, in Minnesota, Verngania land. You know, they they most of the wrestlers they had athletic background, and there was like a thing like a in AWA, in for instance, there was Billy Robinson School, you know, dojo wrestling mm. that the. Uh, Vern Gagne School of Wrestling, and the, the head coach was Billy Robinson, hmm. you know. And uh, uh, should we start from there? Yeah, sure. All right. And then let's start. Let's start yeah. from Billy Robinson. Yeah. And I'll cut this off. Perfect. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, there was no such thing as wrestling school, like you see wrestling school today. In wrestling school today, what, how many are there out there, Justin? Probably just today? about every city that has wrestling, huh? Today? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I mean... Just about any city that is popular, uh, or the big city, I mean, LA, Chicago, New York, even in Florida, or Dallas, Texas, or even in Minneapolis, that uh, pretty, oh, in Las Vegas, yeah, that, uh, because Dido Brown had had school in Las Vegas, uh, you know, but he probably runs it still. That uh, there are wrestling schools that people who wants to learn, or that's like going to night school that you pay for your tuition and come learn maybe twice a week for two hours. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, then they. I was just maybe, gonna say I think that yeah. I think that these days there are a lot of schools. But there are only a few with, you know, really good reputations. Of course, of course. Yeah. So and I think it's more that, based on that, yeah. Yeah. And what I was trying to get to was that, you know, I, I was speaking with the younger journalists, you know, journalists on my Zoom meeting, and, and they were outraged or they're surprised, you know. If there was no wrestling school, you know, where did they learn? Or how did they become wrestlers? Or where did they learn the craft or whatever? That, that there was no such thing as wrestling school until probably mid-80s. But before that, you, uh, like I said, you had to uh, had know somebody who's in the business or who had, you know, got to be relative of somebody or your uncle or your father, of course. Uh, your relative or the close family friends are in wrestling business or being wrestler, and maybe just maybe you get recommended or recommendation from them and come in 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 in, in the train. You know, in Minnesota, uh, Vernganya territory, of course, AWA. Um, most of the wrestlers had college background, wrestling background. You know, that uh, what well, wrestling being winter sports, indoor sports. Uh, it's always like up north, you know, like Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Canada. That the wrestling is pretty strong up north because since it's a winter sport and indoor sports. And uh, Vern Gagne, as you know, the 
AEW was such that they always wanted to people think their wrestling's real. Right? Of course, all the all, all the old-fashioned wrestling promoter wanted you to think it's real. But that's not the point. The point is wrestling business being such a closed society. Are you with me on that? Yeah, it was still, uh, you know, there weren't advertisements for wrestling schools. Ever. I mean, it's not something that was out in public knowledge. It was always, like you said, it's somebody had to know, you had somebody, to know somebody else. Somebody. Yeah. And there was, it didn't seem like there was much of a like a way or a training system that was mm -hmm. in play. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, you know, from what I've heard, been told and read about, I think a lot of guys like Stan Hansen, for example, just kind of go in there and learn on the fly. Yeah, because he was in Amarillo, Texas, Southwest uh, State College football team. The, all of them. Stan Hansen's a little bit an isolated case because the Southwest uh, State College football team, there was a Stan Hansen. Oh, before that, Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk, both in the same college. Stan Hansen, Dusty Rose, Bobby Duncan, that a uh, uh, little bit, oh, Bruce Avroli, of course. And a little bit later on, Tito Santana, the Barry, Barry Windham. The, they, they were all in the same college um, football team. And being a wrestling fan, they came to watch Terry Funk. And a lot of them wanted to wrestle, too. And uh, Terry Funk wouldn't even let Dusty Rose uh, train at you know at, at their ring. Uh, the Dusty Rose, American Dream. Dusty Rose had to go someplace else and learn and come back. It was an interesting era because they don't want you to come in that easy. You know what I'm saying? It was like yeah. you said. It was still protected. It was still mm, yeah. They're policemen. Yeah. For. for um, for wrestling textbook and manual, like, you know, if you have <laughs> probably today's standard, like today's practice, you'll probably find a lot of mail or the Brazilian jiu-jitsu textbook, huh? That was the way when jiu-jitsu got bigger and bigger in the 90s. It was the mail order books or magazines. Yeah, and textbook VHS. with the drawing on it. You could never learn that, actually, right? Uh, it, it, you really had to... <laughs> dedicate a lot of time and the books yeah, were oversized too they're huge sure human instructed to actually learn it you know yeah but i mean the, you need somebody to correct your technique in person yeah you can't read it you know mm -mm. and because uh, there are a lot of people uh, in japan that who wanted to do the uh Korogach textbook then Korogach always declined you, know, you can't do that you know it's like uh it, the, the every people's every you know body structures you know slightly different and you have to coach these people accordingly you know everybody's different you know like a drop of water in 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 ocean and uh, you cannot never you could never really make a textbook manual like that and uh, um there are people in japan that who want you know the, the uh approach to Malenko, you know, Jody Malenko and Dean Malenko, the Malenko brothers, to make these wrestling textbook. Uh, they almost wanted to do it, but uh, they decided that, no, you could never write down, you know, all this technique in writing, you know. And Fujiwara's book has been written, you know, with photos on it. And Fujiwara himself says, ah, that doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, the mail order wrestling book goes actually goes all the way back to like 1900s. Did you know that? No. 
done, yeah, that the mail order wrestling textbook, like a self defense and a mm. discipline kind of book, done by Farmer Barnes. Oh, okay, yeah, I know, I know the Farmer Burns uh, like literature publication or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Farmer B- Burns for today's wrestling fans out there, listeners out there, Farmer Barnes is the coach of Frank Gotch. Frank Gotch is the very first uh, this undisputed world heavyweight champion in America, 1908, beating Joey Schmidt. I mean, just, just an information. But uh, Frank Gotch, too, had a teacher. That's Farmer Martin Barnes. Martin Barnes, Farmer Barnes wrote the book, Mail Order Only, for Wrestling Manual. You know, I... Uh, Love to find it. You know, I have the photocopy of that, the few page of that thing, you know, because it's so hard to find the original. It's kind of like an antique, right? I think there might be a copy at Total. Copy of it, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, the total, yeah, it's, it's a photocopy. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And they have the uh, the Frank Gotch book, too. His kind yeah, of yeah, uh, training book. Yeah, I do have book. a copy. Yeah. So there had been wrestling manual, mail order book, or the paper book version. And uh, it's been written... But it's like um, there's like a mixed bag. That there's one opinion you can learn this from your book, and uh, the other is no. You could never actually learn anything from those books by you know reading and looking at photos. Then they do it for you to your brother or something. You know what I mean? And, I mean, uh, yeah. There, if there's no sparring element, it's not. I, I don't know. Well, what it is, you know, it's just a book of techniques. same thing with Jap. You know, like a judo instruction book or you know aikido right probably today's you know brazilian jiu-jitsu book you know you could probably learn how to hold you know somebody's wrist or to try to do certain things in your basement or something but, but you gotta that... study like 17 different pictures of one technique <laughs> you know yeah and and sometimes you only get one angle of the technique with the picture. It's only from where the photographer was standing, but you might need to really see it from the opposite side to see how their hips are moving or where their left or right foot is going, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the so, instruction book is so hard, but it's been done mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. goes all the way back to Farmer Browns in 1900s, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, like you said, uh, the Frank Gotch manual book, uh, the the, the book done by Strangler Lewis, Ed, Ed Strangler Lewis, he's done a book, Tootsmont book, um, quite a few, you know, but, but it's nothing to do with wrestling school. In order to become a professional wrestler, you need to be either discovered by somebody or have to know somebody in the business. And there was no, our point today, it was we were talking about wrestling school's culture, right? Mm. And, uh, up until 19, all the way to, like, we just talked about 1900s instruction book by Farmer Barnes. Over 100 years ago. <laughs> yeah, George Harkin Schmidt book and all that things, you know, that's been done. Then, uh, but there's complete kayfabe closed society that uh, it's not to actually, you know, in order to become a professional wrestler. You had to know somebody or actually knocking door and go to some place. Even uh, old Stu Hart. He hitchhiked from Calgary to New York and found the promoter and told the promoter, Tootsman, that I want to become a professional wrestler. Then, 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 that's far. The promoter, 
Yeah, and professional uh, that the promoter Toots Mon look at Stu Hart's cauliflower ear and saw the potential. Right, you've been wrestling. Yes, sir. Then uh, that was Haru knock, knocking on the wood, and then you just you know open the closed door to become a wrestler, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't easy to become professional wrestler. Is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was no such thing as wrestling school. And fast forward about 30, 40 years, okay? Mm -hmm. And there was wrestling dojo in Minneapolis, AWA, Vern Gagne's dojo. Inst instructor was none other than Billy Robinson. Mm -hmm. And he coached people like young Ric Flair, Ken Patera, young Bob Remus, who later on became Sergeant Slaughter, uh, Olympian Chris Taylor, and the Paul Parchman, who later on he who became Playboy Buddy Rose, and Jim Brunzel, and Kazuo Baziri in it, who later on became Iron Sheik, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's almost like who's who in 70s wrestling, right? Ricky Steamboat, too? Ricky Steamboat as Dick Blood, right. Mm -hmm. He wrote a letter to Vern Gagne from Tampa, Florida, uh, so he can become a wrestler, and, and he was brought in and be auditioned because they wanted to see what kind of athletic background he had. Mm. Yeah. So that was really hard to really teach or the, even how, you know to start training, right? No guarantee of debuting, no. But uh, what they will do is that the, the Billy Robbins will, will train you and stretch you. Yeah. We talked about Hiro Matsuda's school, you know, mm -hmm. that the dojo, uh, Hiro Matsuda trained Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff, Ron Simmons, Lex Luger, and such, right? There was no such thing as wrestling school that he had to look at these guys and say, ah, uh, uh, maybe I can train him. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Kind of size him up, look at him, study the the background or, or the willingness, you right? Know? Yeah, right. To go through the, do they want to do this? Ready, ready to torture you? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And on on Vergania's wrestling in the dojo case, that they would not smart you up until the day of debut. Hmm. I mean, they have everybody have pretty good idea of what the wrestling would be, but the, they would not really tell you what it is really until your first match. And in the late sixties and early seventies, what I learned that their trick was your debut match usually is like fifteen to twenty minutes draw. Mm -hmm. You go out there and work your ass off for twenty minutes and come back. Mm -hmm. Win or lose. I mean, like, uh, try to win if the, you know if we could, and try to survive if you could, and just get there and wrestle for 20 minutes nonstop. So that was like a Broadway debut match that uh, either win or lose. Or if you are this you know designated kind of TV jobber type, that you'll be losing in two minutes. You know. But not it, really. Promising. It depended on the area, the territory. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, not too many promised rookie would be doing the TV job. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. in the 70s and the 80s, you watch wrestling TV. Uh, the one star name wrestler against the guy who you've never heard of, right? Sure, sure. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, that was enhanced, enhanced talent in today's world. It would be like 75% of the TV shows, depending, again, depending on where. If it was WWF, there was a more of those kind of matches. If you watch something, uh, Mid Atlantic, oh, you'd the often 80s, see those. Not, not until Monday Night Raw era, you know, like mm -hmm. name, name wrestler against name wrestler. But uh, you rest, WWE superstars or WWE, what, uh, Spotlight or what's the other one? The, you know, those. Superstars or uh, Superstars Wrestling or USA. Wrestling USA, Wrestling America kind of thing. Yeah, that's a syndicated package show that the match in themselves were almost generic. You know, generic. That mm -hmm. uh, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff will come in and, and whip the guy in two minutes with power drive or something. Sure. Yeah. The idea that, was that just was a, to, to, get... to show, showcase your you know, name talent. Yeah. And how strong they were, and who they were, and what they looked like. It was a kind of introduction, right? Then you're not supposed to remember the other guy. <laughs> exactly. You know? That's that right. was what the the theory is or was. But the they, but the, those enhanced talent were not guys from off the street or anything. They learned that you know wrestling somewhere, you know. But it, right. they were a lot of times rookie or the local guy who has regular job, right? NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, we, usually, sometimes, even today, it's the, the the local one of the best local guys is sent out. Maybe uh, does a match with a well-known guy, and then that company's gone. And when there's another show, more local, smaller show, that's the big superstar because they were right. And also, those guys, you know, that uh, enhanced talent would be wrestling in your local independent car next weekend. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a hierarchy there. It almost kind of uh, gives a credibility to the wrestler locally. Yeah, because name talents are more talented guy, you know, and for real, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes, if you remember, like, guys like Hardy Boys, you know, when they were 17, 18, they're on the TV doing it. Mm-hmm, the plaid. Mick, Mick Foley, you know, he was on TV doing it, you know, a couple of times for WWE TV. And for Mick Foley's case, that the, he, you know, while he was in college, he was going Dominic Denucci wrestling school every weekend. Mm -hmm. Driving very so, far. Yeah, that's, but that's still wrestling school. That's, uh, he came from wrestling school era. You know, the like ECW guys, you know, the Tommy Dreamer, Taz, that they were in, in Johnny Rod's wrestling school in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, whereas Sabu learned from his uncle, Sheik. Yeah, kind of. It not, wasn't necessarily a school. No, 
you had to know somebody. Right, you had to know somebody connected to the Sheik. Yeah, and Rob Van Dam, young Rob Sutkowski, came to Sheik, you know, wanted to learn. And the Sheik, you know, looked at him and said, he's a really good-looking guy, let's train him. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you have to have the actual connection to the business in, you know, up, up until 80s. And... Uh, Right, like back to Vern Gagne's wrestling school. Vern Gagne assigned Billy Robinson to be the real instructor because you learn this from this guy and you'll be, you know, really, really good. And all the talents are from like the University of Minnesota. Uh, Ric Flair, his roommate, Ken Patera. Ken Patera went to Munich Olympic, you know, in the weightlifting. Mm -hmm. A little bit later on, Chris Taylor, actual Olympic wrestler. Uh, the Kazuo uh, Majiri later on become Iron Sheik, and the, the, the teammate, I mean, in the wrestling camp. So, they, yeah, they used to call it camp, wrestling uh, camp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they were selected, at, you know, amateur athletes who wanted to be wrestler. What I'm talking about is that it's like a, not like Japanese company, uh, Ricky Dozen's, you know, Ricky Dozen Dojo to uh, Nippon Pro Wrestling Dojo to uh, New Japan, you know, Dojo, Inoki's, Giant Baba's, you know, All Japan Dojo, then UWF. It's all Dojo system that the, these trainee never really had to pay for your tuition, you know, but mm. the UB auditioned first. You have to have athletic background. You come into dojo and actually live in dojo and have that uh, newcomer young lion lifestyle for mm -hmm. the first two years. Yeah, and that's the Japanese style. But in America, it's always been uh, trained by a wrestler or or somebody who was in the business. And there was no such thing as wrestling school until 80s. And I'm talking about 80s because... Um, when you talk about Minneapolis, it's also the place for wrestling school too, uh, outside of Vergania. It's I'm talking about Eddie, Eddie Sharkey's school. There was a the gym called Vent, Ventura's Gym in North Minneapolis. Jesse Ventura's Gym. Are you with me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesse Ventura already a wrestler. Okay. Um, Famous wrestler, right. <clears throat> and he parked his Datsun 280Z outside, you know, like a sports car, you know, right outside the, you know, the gym. Young Mike Hegstrand, let on Road Warrior Hawk, okay? Mm -hmm. He was working up at the Ventures gym, and one day he walked up to Jesse Venture and told him he wanted to become wrestler. Yeah. Huh. Then Jesse told him, you know, to Mike, young Mike Hegstrand, Road Warrior Hawk, yet. Yeah. That, that, that young Mike Hextra, you'll never make it, right? And then uh -huh. he kept asking Venture to train him or just teach me or just, just clue me into the I mean, the secret of becoming professional wrestler because there seems no, no one seemed to know how to become professional wrestler. How did you become professional wrestler, right? And mm -hmm. Jesse, mm -hmm. Jesse finally told my young Mike that, okay, there's a guy that uh, if you give him some money, um, he might teach you a little bit. That's Eddie Sharkey. Okay. 
Mm. Eddie Sharkey was uh, 60s AWA wrestler and also one time AWA junior heavyweight champion and a short, stocky bodybuilder type that uh, who never really had wrestling school, okay? And uh, he was, uh, uh, Mr. Sharkey was like a stubborn person that uh, he got falling out with Vern Gagne and he um, shut AW office door with his pistol one time. Oh. Bam, bam, you know? Then somewhat wow. blackballed from the Midwest area, you know. Then he was doing something else. It's a good idea. <laughs> and he was doing, you know, being a, a bodybuilder and also a bouncer. Mm-hmm. And he was doing all kinds of different jobs outside of wrestling because he was basically blackballed from Vergania's territory. And right. uh, Jesse Ventra was the one who got trained by Eddie Shirky in back in like 76 personal training yeah okay but just because of the connection with eddie shirky uh, jesse ventura, ventura could not debut in awa area so he was sent out to uh, portland oregon don owens territory to debut yeah. Uh-huh. Then he spent a year or so wrestling in, in Northwest, uh, the Pacific Northwest area. Then he came back to Minneapolis as a wrestler, and AWA debuted him as Jesse the Body Ventura uh-huh. from Venice Beach. Not the Venice uh-huh. Beach, Ventura. No. Was, he had a, uh, the Ventura is not even his name, you know, that uh, that's, a, that's a town in California, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. near LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, he became well. And when he was like super young, he was walking around Minneapolis Auditorium wearing tie-dye T-shirts, telling people that he was younger brother of Superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> Seemed like uh, quite a few people did that. Back yeah, then, yeah, okay. uh, including young young Hulk Hogan, right? Kind of like cosplay. Today's cosplay. The idea was there, and also, yeah, you know. Young blonde hair with big, huge muscle, you know, weightlifting, you know, and uh, you want to become professional wrestler, but didn't know how. Oh, it's the same way. Yeah, Ventura was trained under Eddie Sharkey, and he was sent to uh, sent to out to Portland, Oregon, for Don Owens' rather smaller territory. But you get to work seven days a week. You know what I'm saying? And you become wrestler. Mm-hmm. Then before, yeah, I forgot. Before AWA, he went down to Central States, Central NWA, Central States territory, like your Kansas and Iowa and parts part Missouri. And you might get to work St. Louis too, a little bit. And he spent time there. And then he came up, uh, came back to his hometown of Minnesota, saying that he's from California, and became Jesse the Body Ventura. Anyhow, that, that, that's a very isolated case that uh, he was success. Ventura mm-hmm. told young Mike Hegstrand, if you give Eddie Sharkey a little bit of your money, that he might train you. Then Mike Hegstrand found Eddie Sharkey. Then the rest is the history. Eddie Sharkey started training all these bouncer guys in Minneapolis nightclub scene. scene. You know who came out of Eddie Sharkey's dojo? Yeah. Tell me. Road Warriors, of course. The Mike Hegstrand, Hawk, Hawk, Road Warrior, Hawk. Uh, Joe Laurinaitis, of course, he's an animal. Barry Durso, 
who's a demolition smash and uh, Crusher Chris Jeff later on and he was a repo man in the blacked up bully he had a different gimmick but the Barry Durso Mr. Durso was his student um, uh, ravishing recruit from me uh, Robinsdale of course and uh, you have so many all the way all the way to Wayne Bloom to Mike Enos to well, a lot of people in between Tom Zink Tom Zink of course yeah Tom Zink was one of, one of them and a little bit later on Medusa yeah yeah, uh, uh, if I'm not missing, uh, John Nord probably, yeah, uh, the Barzakar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many in between, yeah. How about Sean Waltman? Sean did uh, Or did he train? He trained with the Malenkovs. Yeah, first, right? right out, I mean, right while he was in college. Mm. But he wanted to move to, he, he was born in, yeah, Sean Waltman was, was like 10 years younger than these guys though, okay? 10, 12 mm-hmm. years younger. So yeah. it was a different, different scene. scene. But he, while he was in, in, in Tampa, he was trained on the Malenko's dojo and he didn't have to pay for the dojo fee because he was being a crash test dummy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right, right. And uh, he wanted to move up to Minnesota. He had uncle, a relative in Minnesota. You know, growing up in Tampa, Florida, he has never seen snow. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. wanted to come up to uh, to Minnesota and see the snow and then live in Minnesota. And of course, you'll find wrestling there too. And hooked up with Eddie Sharkey and their friends oh, pretty much right away. Yeah. And they were mm-hmm. uh, independent portion of, you know, Eddie. See, these people I just talked about, the road warrior, hawk and animal, that the uh, animal's friend, Nikita Koloff, that the Barry Durso, the John Nord, the Tom Zink, the Ravishing Recruit, that these guys all are all in the same age group. And they were, some of them went to high school together, um, but the, most of them were like in, like in bouncers, you know, scene in Minneapolis nightclub. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Sharkey was bouncer himself older guy but uh, he was a bouncer at clubs and as soon as he sees some big guys you know like a tall and big bodybuilder type Eddie Shark will walk up to him them and say do you want to be a wrestler you'll make good money or you want to be a wrestler and don't try to make a living but uh, you have the this is the greatest hobby in the world you work in, in, in wrestling, is, is, there's no such, I mean, like, there's nothing like it. You have, you have a great time and you might be able to see the world, meaning like you got to go to Europe, you got to go to Japan, you go to Australia, maybe and, and, I mean, you can get to see the world. This is the greatest hobby. Just don't try to make a living, something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, people, different people came in with different, you know, reason too. Because in Medusa's case, uh, in 87, that she was trying to become an actress and stunt person, the Hollywood stunt person introduced her to Eddie Shirky that you should be a wrestler first, then you be a stunt person mm-hmm. or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the pe- different people came in with different reasons. Because Medusa wasn't exactly a wrestling fan until the first day of training. Yeah. Mm. And uh, there are like a dozen other guys who didn't make it, you know what I'm saying? Or they made it in a certain local um, level, like, uh, you know, like there was like three different Terminators, you know, after Terminator movie. Yeah, Terminator this and Terminator that. And then there was like after Road Warriors, a lot of bodybuilder type. And 
I hate to touch this, but the early 80s is also kind of steroid era. Sure, it was a different era of uh, wrestler and which kinds of wrestlers were most popular. It was very uh, bodybuilder build was what was expected. You're yeah, and big, the one guy will you know, put on 50 pound, pound in one year period, you know, that you got to wonder, right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, they blew up like uh, they ripped at uh, uh, the what is it? The ripcord. They pulled <laughs> yeah. the ripcord. But uh, right after Road Warriors' big success, more guys, more bouncers in Minneapolis wanted to you know become wrestlers. Yeah. Sure, sure. And it was yeah. the type. Again, because of this, you know, that uh, not connected with Vern Gagne uh, wrestling school that. Eddie Sharkey had to send these guys to different places. Before Road Warriors, Mike Hawk was sent to way out in Vancouver, you know, different name, Crusher Von Hague or something, some Nazi gimmick, something that uh, went in there and never made money and came back. And Animal even went down to South Carolina as a single Road Warrior and didn't quite make it and came right back and he was all animal was all ready to go back to college of all things you know what i'm saying <laughs> and <laughs> ollie anderson came from atlanta one one weekend looking for new guys you know that uh, okay i'm talking about late 82 into 83 that uh, wtbs superstation in atlanta that ollie anderson was in charge of this saturday night wrestling program but they weren't doing that well you know that uh, well meaning that the atlanta wasn't really drawing all the big money or the house or the super there weren't that many superstars in there for some reason that that area, I mean, that era. And Superstation needed to produce um, two hours of wrestling every week. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you still had to run house shows too because you are actually running local territory. And Ollie Anderson came from, well, originally from Minnesota, came to Minnesota looking for, you know, rookies, you know. And... Uh, Met with Shark Eddie Sharkey at, at wrestling, you know, a wrestling camp, and all of them rookie, big guys though, all big guys. Ollie Anderson pointed at you and you and you and you. You know what I'm saying? Was mm -hmm. Road Warrior Animal, Road Warrior Hawk, and Ravishing Recruit, and one other guy or something. That uh, first, Ollie Anderson wanted Hawk and Ravishing Recruit to be tag team. Instant. So before the Road Warriors, they were training. the idea was yeah. to... To put together uh, big wow, guys and send down to Atlanta and put them on TV right away. Rookie, but to still give you a gimmick right away. So the original idea was they were room, you know, like a roommate in a, a roommate's in an apartment, right? you know, young Rick Rude and young Mike Hegstrand before Road Warrior Hawk. They were friends, and they were all ready to become tag team partners. But instead, uh, the, the, they picked uh, Animal and Mike together, and they were the Road Warriors. The, the, what if it was Ravishing Recruit, huh? Uh, it's like, what if, what if in history, different, but... you know? 
I mean, R Rick Rude was a pretty big guy himself, but he wasn't. Actually, uh, he, he was like really animal. skinny in waist. You know, like wearing like a. At first, yeah. he was. Wasn't yeah, yeah, like a thirty-two inch waist, and it was like, oh, this guy's ripped, but kind of skinny. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, Animal Joe and Mike Hawk, they matched. You know, that the height right. and weight. They could be brothers. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, it took them six months to get to the Mohawk and the backward Mohawk and the face paint, like a Mad Max movie. The first they had mm -hmm. this um, leather Harley Davidson cap and the leather vest and the chaps, you know, like a bikers. Then right, they evolved. Right, like Mad Max. Yeah. And Mike Rodoria Hawk looked so innocent, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> Bill Watts came, came to the studio and told him to paint your uh, eyebrow or, you know, put the black line underneath your eye to make you look a little meaner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he's scowling. Yeah, yeah like right underneath your eye, eyes. And the, that became the idea of like, what if we paint the face? There was a Road Warrior Mad Max movie, right? And uh, the, the idea evolved and eventually became what we know as Road Warriors. And Ravishing Recruit mm. went to uh, Atlanta too, but he was uh, sent to Tennessee right away and started doing the very beginning of Ravishing Recruit character with female mm -hmm. valet and all that. Yeah. And Tom Zink didn't come in he, a little bit later on, but uh, John Nord, that, uh, yeah, the uh, Barry Durso was sent down to Louisiana and he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he had different name before he was the Russian uh, Crusher Khrushchev, and uh -huh. Nikita Koloff was a friend of Animal. His, his name was Steve, and he was sent down to uh, not Atlanta, but uh, year after that, uh, sent down to NWA Crockett Pro. Pro was like a uh, practically no practice, no training. He was, you know, like a. He already had first match done in, you know. North Carolina, and he picked up as he went on. <laughs> this is different people in different you know scenario, but uh, there was no that was like a beginning of wrestling school era, is what I'm talking about. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they didn't really audition; uh, they, they just brought a bunch of guys who wanted to be professional wrestler and started training. And it, it was interesting that the Eddie Sharkey's wrestling camp didn't even have wrestling ring. They did it on the mat. Interesting. You know, I think that's a key key part in uh, understanding why wrestling is like it's like it is today. Because there was a time period where promotions would go out and scout their talent and bring it in, whereas now with after school started opening, a lot of the talent that populates these promotions are guys and girls that went to school because they want to be a wrestler. Yeah, but look at the today's wrestling they school. They, they take guys and, you know, women that, that there's no athletic background, you know? I mean, look at some mm -hmm. of these people. Like, but you'll never make it. You know what I'm saying? But but the thing is, it's it's bad. A lot of the wrestlers today, they're not people that were scouted. They're people who want to go and become wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. It's different oh, because, oh, uh, oh, 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 the, like you said, like Medusa yeah. didn't even like wrestling at first, like you said. It's like these people didn't necessarily like wrestling before they began pro wrestling. 
Whereas now, I think yeah, but the Road Warrior Hawk and so... Animal, they were big wrestling fan, wanted to become wrestler. Well, so it's, yeah. of course, some more, some more, but in general, the that the mentality was that the big stars were chosen. Yeah, like Vader's were... 85, 86. Leon White didn't want to be a wrestler first. Vader. Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. he was called in. He was like a former football player. I mean, real, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a big star. Rams. Yeah, but the NFL, nonetheless, right? Didn't mm-hmm. quite make it to your yep. superstar level, but the great athlete enough that you, you're the professional football player. And he was living in Denver, and he was invited to AWA Denver show. And by the time he went to the building, actually showed up in the backstage, he was introduced. This is our rookie, Leon White. What? Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like a, he felt it was trick, and he was tricked that the, he never agreed to become professional wrestler first. Yeah, mm-hmm. but later on, the, 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 I'm sure that he adapted so well, and he learned it, and he, you know, it was like a dying day of AWA, you know, when Leon. Mm-hmm. Then in rookie year, uh, the baby ball Leon White already had single match against people like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody in dying days of AWA. And mm-hmm. he was sent out to, uh, the Otto Vance loved him. So uh, he, he was invited to Europe and had a program against Otto Vance. And he even got the CWA world title in Europe. And the start loving, you know, the, the lifestyle of it. Then he was brought to, end of 87, he was brought to New Japan Pro Wrestling by Anthony Inoki's idea that he became Big Van Vader. Then then uh, the rest is history. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. each individual had different background and uh, the little different you know scenario to become professional wrestler. But today's wrestling, there was no such thing as wrestling school until like late eighties, nineties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I wouldn't call Eddie Sharkey's you know camp uh, n- n- necessarily a wrestling school. Later on, later on, he took the student and took the tuition and trained people whether you make it or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Down in mm-hmm. Tampa, that uh, Malenko school the same way that uh, you know, Boris Malenko uh, didn't really you know, train just about anybody and everybody, that they, they had to be auditioned, right? But uh, in, later, you know, like in mid-80s to 90s, more people showing up to Dojo and wanted to become wrestler, they, they had to, you know, almost they had to run a course like a class. You know, like a, went. You know, like a sure. Thursday night we do this, and Friday night we do this, and Saturday night and Sunday night we might run the show, and Monday through Thursday night we do this cardio days to uh, you know conditioning days to wrestling day to this and this. And some of these young talent at the Malenko school was designed to send being sent to UWF. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, to do mm-hmm. the UWF style in Japan. Some of these people weren't ex- expecting to debut in America, but uh, you train you the certain way you can go to Japan and work UWF. I mean, kick, you know, chop to submission and suplex, no nonsense. Yeah. Like, yeah. catch wrestling, pancreation, whatever, yeah, yeah, the, whatever the it was. Closest back thing then. to MMA, later, I mean, MMA 10 years later, right? No holds right. barred. And, Young Shamrock came and trained, you know, young Ken Shamrock. He was trained under Nelson Royal Wrestling School in North Carolina first and debuted, you know, Vince Trulli. But uh, before Shamrock was sent to UWF uh, in back in, what, the 80s, 
87, 88, that he was retrained under Malenko's, so he was ready to go to Japan and do this stuff. And Ken was good at it, right? Yeah, so mm-hmm. this, the Malenko school and, and okay, Tampa's Malenko school and Minneapolis Eddie Sharkey school became two two schools that were so famous in late 80s into 90s. Yeah. Very interesting, huh? And uh, just up north uh, from Minnesota in that area was uh, also in Canada with uh, the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, Calgary. The Hart Family of Dungeon. Course, but the, not for everybody and anybody. That is so old school that uh, you had no very old school, somebody yeah. or be recommended by somebody that who was in business. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. so it was, yeah, because superstar Billy Graham got trained way back in 1970, you know, off of Canadian football, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he wasn't even a wrestling fan that much, but later on, he learned the nuance is in his word. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we forget, we have to mention Brad Wrestling Wrestling School, too. Brad Reagan's. Another dojo in Minnesota who is very special because Brad Reagan's former Olympic wrestler, 1976 uh, Montreal Olympic, and also golden rookie for, you know, AWA in early 80s. But he was a mobile coach, and he only coaches rookies that already had the deal. That's very different. Mm -hmm. Very different. He coached JBL, you know, the, you know, JBL, WWJBL, okay? Uh, John Layfield. Layfield. He was sent by Mantels in Dallas that uh, get this guy ready in three months. I mean, like a green rookie that uh, they had the deal that uh, after Von Eriks, okay? Somebody was always running a sportatorium in Dallas, right? And uh, this Mm -hmm. time, I believe it was a GWF uh, run by Perecino, yeah. And... uh, JBL was sent to Brad Reagan's dojo and get this guy ready in three months. Just give him basics. He's got the body. He's just tall, big, athletic football player. It's just teach him well enough that he can be in the ring in three months' time. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brad only trained guys that already had the deal. Deal meaning that the, right. he, that he trained Leon White before he was sent to New Japan's Big Van Vader. He trained Scott Norton, that uh, well, a friend of you know, friend of Road Warriors, but didn't really go through Eddie Sharkey's school. Instead, uh, Brad Reagan trained Scott Norton because he already had the New Japan deal, meaning like uh, New Japan will be using Scott Norton for regular, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. just train basics and good enough to be in put, being put in the ring and sent them to, to Japan, right? So Scott Norton was or, mm-hmm. also trained under Brad Reagan's and people like Tony Holm, um, later on, he was Ludwig Vorga in WWE, if you remember. Yeah. That's right, from yeah. Finland. Tony Holm was sent to Minnesota and trained with people like Wayne Bloom, and Mike Enos, who were Beverly brothers in, in WWF, but uh, 
only so? a year or so that he came they both of them came back to minnesota and he they both worked in new japan too but uh, scott norton was trained in that that the brad dragon's ring uh we talked about leon white jbl uh tony home and oh don fry of course ufc champion mm -hmm. Right, like an early UFC champion who wanted to actually become professional wrestler, because he knew that the mm -hmm. UFC isn't forever. You know, you could only have what the 10 to 15 fights altogether in your MMA career. Mm, especially yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, and he wanted to become professional wrestler, but not in America. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, mm -hmm. Masa Saito didn't want Dan Fry to be like a regular American wrestler work like mma guy in professional wrestling ring you know what i'm saying like a characteristic it was perfect for the late 2000s and he ended up becoming a famous opponent of Inoki. sure sure and had a regular tour with new japan for like a five six year period and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for don fry's uh case brad reagan's and kurt hennig trained him kurt hennig yeah, mm. Kurt Henning was nothing to do with this, you know, Brad wrestling, you know, Brad's wrestling school. But the, all the Minnesota guys used to just stop by at Brad's garage because the, the Brad had, you know, professional wrestling ring with three ropes and amateur wrestling mat anytime. And some of these guys had key to yeah. open the garage and they can come in anytime, any, you know, night or, you know, it's like Brad don't even have to be there sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. Then right. they come in the ring and work out. You know, the Sean Waltman come in and work out, you know, and a lot of guys did. And Kurt Henning was there a lot. And Kurt ended up training uh, Don Fry with Brad Reagans. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And isn't it right that uh, Sasaki was, uh, he spent some time at with Brad Reagans back yeah, then? Yeah, when they were doing the. Uh, the Hellraiser gimmick that the Road Warrior Hulk and the Power Warrior Kensuke Sasaki doing the international that the like a Road Warriors like you know character yeah and mm -hmm. while they were doing um, Hellraiser's character in Japan Mike did not want to work anywhere else in you know in the states he had back and forth back and forth back to back but tour was New Japan for like a three or four year period and he was happy you know. Yeah, mm. and we the, the most important in modern era is that Brad Reagan's trained Brock Lesnar. Mm -hmm. Already had the deal. That's yeah, right. rookie Brock Lesnar had a uh, had a two deals. You know, you know, either you go to New Japan and work for New Japan and Inoki's organization at the same time. Or you'd be signed with WWE and be sent sent down to Ohio Valley. Yeah, sure. I guess Brock Lesnar, you know, choose um, Ohio Valley. Yeah. But the rest is history. That, uh, as they say, the rest yeah, is history. Yeah, because Brock right. Les in Brock Lesnar's case, right away. Uh, short stint with o OVW, Ohio Valley, and he was brought up to main roster right away, and Paul Heyman called him next big thing in professional wrestling. Remember? Mm. It's been 20 years. That's right. Uh, it seemed like a while back, Amazing. but uh, it's been 20 years. But uh, they knew 
that Brock Lesnar would be the next big thing in wrestling. And sure enough, he was. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And this uh, wrestling school is one thing, but this training camp is another. It's like uh, Brad only trained that the guys with, you know, legitimate background, college wrestling or football, or the guy who had a deal with New Japan. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like had a purpose, mm-hmm. right. specific purpose that trained these people in certain way and packaged him and sent to Japan. That's a different method, right? Yeah. And That's also right. Brad Reagans was in in uh, part coaching with along with Masa Saito that the, he trained guys from former Soviet Union, Russian wrestlers, remember? That's right. He also wrestled yeah, on the show yeah. too, right? He so that was like an interesting Sangeet. that uh, you train in you know, Olympic level wrestler who, who was just legitimate, you know, like uh, the most legitimate wrestling background, but didn't know that the country did not have such thing as professional wrestling, you know, and they had mm-hmm. to lecture them. What's professional wrestling? It's a sport and entertainment. And, and the most important thing is the trust. That's, that's how they talk, right. you know? Uh, you have sure. to trust your opponent that uh, they are not going to hurt you, but uh, you have to have a legitimate wrestling background. You have to be able to wrestle. You have to be t- tough enough to back yourself up. But uh, uh, it's that's what professional wrestling, and it, it's hard to explain, but you, let's do it. You know, and then Hashimika after, Zangi after, you know, whatnot. They train. Well, it's like a, they proved it that. The, the fact wrestling has no language barrier <laughs> is that interesting yeah and and even today if you watch back it, it kind of holds up in a in a interesting way it looks more like what you see in ufc or or jujitsu today yeah 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 of course because it's a in pro wrestling it's a showcasing your athletic ability and you have to be showman and you have to be an entertainer, but you have to have an expression. You have to have presence and uh, ability to pantomime storytelling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what uh, kind of separates uh, professional wrestling from amateur wrestling. You have a lot more to learn in professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And one another, one more experience that. Uh, um, the unique experience, uh, the conversation I had with Hiro Matsuda. Hiro Matsuda, one day, you know, he we rode together in uh, in a car, and he was looking through, mm-hmm. you know, and then went to eat rest a restaurant, and he was looking through my Japanese wrestling magazine and saw the article on Monster Factory, Larry okay. Sharp's Monster Factory. You know, the Bam Bam Bigelow was an exceptional student that the, he would have made it with or without Larry Sharp's Monster Factory. Right. You know? And the same as Raven, probably. But uh, Hiro Matsuda hated the fact that somebody like Larry Sharp, I'm nothing to take uh, you know, away from Larry Sharp. He was wrestling. You know, he had idea to run the wrestling school, and people pay tuition. He had wrestling ring and the, the course and curriculum and all these things. So you know, like a, he, he did, he packaged it. But Hiro Matsuda's mentality in old school wrestling, you know, that uh, if you put this monster factories, you know, guys in your magazine, I'm not gonna help you again. Ooh, I'm sorry. 
You know why? That's pretty. Yeah, because uh... these are people that teaching how to take bumps, how to work your headlock, how to work a wrestling, or even teaching how to bounce the wrestling ropes, and 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 uh, they're just smarting up the people they're not supposed to. Ooh, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's like a, this is like monster story. Is like was like a, everything against what Hiro Matsuda believed in wrestling. It was a uh, changing of the time. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, but uh, like for a... him, that uh, Hiro Matsuda had to bring it up to me that uh, that uh, I don't want to see any of these article in your magazine again. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was that mad because mm-hmm. these are the people who are teaching the trick of the business for people who's like not capable of becoming wrestler. Who are these people? It's like there is no credential for these people to be teaching or learning. Uh, no, wouldn't be learning anything. It's just because he was so angry. I was like, I had to sit there and listen to him. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I had to bring that up. Yeah. So old-fashioned coach, like tough guy coach, like Hiro Matsuda, hated the idea of somebody running wrestling school. That's that's my point. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that interesting? Mm-hmm. It was. It's a good example of uh, seeing how the wrestling culture started to yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, don't let these people in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Only coach, but re- yeah. also, but that's the trend wrestling too. Exploded in popularity. Yeah, because there's so. like more wrestling school now than ever. You know, probably every big city with any wrestling popularity, somebody's running wrestling school, right? Yeah. Sure. And plus, we have the internet, which isn't trustworthy in this case, but there's so much information out there, uh, whether it's good information or bad information, it's just a lot different than it was before because uh, it was so uh, well protected yeah. over the yeah. years. Yeah, so I guess so. we talked about Eddie Sharkey's wrestling camp today. Like he was right in, in between, huh? I guess so. You know he saying? was that kind yeah, of, like you said, it was like a camp. Yeah, not just any guy like a five eight, you know, five feet seven inch, you know, hundred fifty pound guy who wanted to be wrestler. They won't let you in. You know what I mean? But if you're right. big enough and athletic enough and willing enough to, you know, really sacrifice, that I'll teach you. Then you still have to pay for tuition. You know, like, you know. A couple thousand dollars is a lot of money, you know, two thousand dollars to get in wrestling school. It's really big money for some in the middle of people, you know, right out of high school, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the funny thing is, Eddie didn't really have wrestling ring, <laughs> they did it at the day they were using like a racquetball club, it's called, you know, that there's a big room for racquetball court that the, you know, you rent a room for you know a few hours and have guys come in and then just practice right there. You know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And soon enough, he Eddie had enough students who learned the wrestling, professional wrestling, and he had to start PWA, you know, Professional Wrestling Alliance in Minneapolis to run independent show in Minneapolis locally. Yeah. Some made it, some didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But the mo- how long did that uh how long did that program run for? Uh, as long he, as long as he wanted it to, because there were other guys like you know Warlord or T.J. Khan, you know, like years after Road Warriors, 
you know, Warlord obviously mm -hmm. made it, and Tijo Khan was gonna make it, but he kinda didn't have heart for it, or it wasn't his. If you do, you remember Tijo Khan even? Oh, God, I mix him up with a missing link. Uh, similar, similar character, yeah. Yeah, but it's something yeah. like that. But yeah, him like uh... and and Warlord were around the trend around the same time, and Warlord, his name was Terry Sapinski. That uh, they were saying that, that we found a guy who's a lot bigger than Road Warriors. <laughs> sure enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was kind of like the Road Warriors. He was kind of like. Oh, a, of course. Uh, that's how. Yeah. People viewed those. Oh, because guys, guys yeah. in training camp gotten bigger and bigger, <laughs> you know. And there were so many other teams that had, you know, makeup and. Oh, around that same time period. Studded, oh God, uh, yeah, other yeah, sure. Yeah. And Barry Durso from the same camp ended up becoming Demolition Smash, you know, before Legion of Doom mm -hmm. Road Warriors arrived WWE, you know, it was mm -hmm. interesting, yeah. And for the for the, right. the 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 partner of Demolition Smash, Demolition Axe, formerly Mass Superstar, right? He was right. from the school where he had to be handpicked by another wrestler and a lot to be trained. He, the, right. the Bill Eady, you know, the Mass Superstar or Boro Mongo, yeah, Boro Mongo or Demolition Axe, right? He and Larry Zbysko trained together. Like mm -hmm. early seventies under Gito Mango. You know, the original Mongols. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That the yeah, That's so right. it, there was no such thing as wrestling school. They were just handpicked by former wrestler and like a very privately trained. And while Bill Eady, Mass Superstar, and Larry Zabisco rookie were training, people like Bruno San Martino showed up and watched practice. Oh, these guys are gonna be a rookie. You know, then just Closed door, closed society. So it's like there were a wrestling camp, there was this, there was a private lesson, there, there was Eddie Sharkey type or Brad Reagan's type or Malenko type school before there was today's wrestling school. Oh, and what year was that when, when San Martino uh, started checking uh, that out? 71, probably. 71, 72. Mm. Yeah. Mass Superstar Bill Eady and Larry Zabisco were training under Gito Mango as a rookie. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. sounds like WWWF connection. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, the, the, the later on, Nikolai Volkov, he was under the uh, training with Gito Mango, too. So before he was Nikolai Volkov, he was uh, Beppo Mango. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Beppo Mango. Yeah, yep. Russian person Gito doing Beppo, Mongolian yeah. gimmick. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, weird times. Yeah, but only selected hand-picked rookie can actually debut around that time. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it yeah, was, right? Yeah. And also trained under Vern Gagne's camp, trained by Coach Billy Robinson. You have Ric Flair, you have Ken Patera, you have Sergeant Slaughter, you have Ian Sheik, you have Jim Brunzel, you have uh, Dick Blood, Ricky Steamboy, uh, Party Playboy, Buddy Rose. Whoa, they all made it, right? And uh, that camp, that was notoriously difficult, wasn't it? Yeah, they won't let them in. Yeah, and then there was quite a few guys who didn't. Well, make I mean, it. the the training was pretty hard. The training oh, was. Oh, Billy Robinson. Than, uh, I... 
would not smart you up. No, they just stretch you and they just teach you how to wrestle. It's like, is this going to be useful? You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When is that going to be like the time, you know, like uh, a around, you know, hip tossing and drop kicking and bouncing off the rope? They won't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they smart themselves up to some point. Yeah. In the debut match, they um, they'll make you do the twenty minute Broadway, yeah. No winning, no no losing. Just do what you've learned. Interesting, mm-hmm. huh? It's it's interesting to see how much it's changed too. Yeah, well, talented people will still make it today's environment. Yeah. Oh, it seems also that way, right? today's environment, the top notch. It's a performance center, WWE performance center that. The, even after you spend two, three years independent, even your independent show, main event guy, signed WWE you know, developmental contract, you will be sent to Performance Center and learn from the start again. And has a class, mm-hmm. you know, like not just wrestling class and conditioning class, but like your promo class to your history class to your this, I mean, just, just like going to school. That's I guess Triple H method. They have their idea of what pro wrestling should be, and they they teach it like a curriculum. And they want you to be athlete. You know, like don't have to be wrestling fan, but uh, you like a college wrestling preferred, college football player preferred, or just be an athlete. You know what I'm saying? Or the athlete uh-huh. that the for female you gotta be a fitness model or the truck runner or swimmer or I mean you gotta be uh, I mean legitimate athlete. If you're a wrestling fan, good. Not still teacher. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. still be handpicked somewhat because yeah, not everybody make it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right, and and everybody has a different but strong athletic background. With the performance center, you know, uh, I think it's really hard um, to be wrestler now. Or there are wrestling schools up there. A, to, I, I mean, I think it's both. Yeah. It's hard to be a WWE wrestler, but I think it's easier to get into the business and become a personality or a wrestler. Yeah, it's from than where, where you grew, grew up, I guess. You know, if you grew up in mm. Texas, there's you'll find wrestling school. Somebody's running and probably debut you in, in the local wrestling scene. And uh, if you are ambitious enough, we'll eventually get to WWE. Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not all that uh, much different, I guess. I mean, the, I think the internet has changed everything. Yeah. I think that the I think there are more choices in the states, and I. We do got to remember that in the States and in Mexico and in Japan, the training systems are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, like the Lucha Libre training, uh, you can actually do Lucha Libre training at local gyms down in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, oh, kids are doing it. It's, yeah. diff- it's treated oh, and differently. Also right, different right. hierarchy too, you know. But the, in Mexico, right. when you debut, you have to be licensed, you know, yeah, that's right. You also need a license yeah. down there, like a box. Yeah, would. so that's a different method. There's that's, that's legitimacy to it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess it's all different. Yeah, because there's no license in Japan, but the 
strict dojo system is here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Different uh, structure. Yeah, different structure altogether. Mm-hmm. It's almost mm-hmm. anthropology thing, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Especially as more time goes by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, top of the world, WWE have mi- you know like a mixed talent too, because you will have guys like Shinsuke Nakamura with New Japan background. Seth Rollins actually uh-huh, uh-huh. has independent background. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. Mm, that's right. More and more stars came up uh, a different, different way. way. And Roman Reigns, this, you know, is a isolated case too because he was a football player and also was in, you know, was an I family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he also spent time, you know, coming up to the Florida Championship yeah, wrestling. Yeah. And, um, wasn't necessarily a star at first. Right. Um, well, look at Dwayne Johnson. You know, he wanted right. to be a football player. Then he wanted to be a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Then he became a huge superstar in professional wrestling. He was too big of a star to be in the TV frame. That's when Hollywood decided to steal him. Yeah, mm-hmm. altogether. So mm-hmm. I guess if you're a talented individual, you'll make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cream rises to yeah, the top. Yeah, so that's our story f- uh, for wrestling sc- culture called wrestling school. Yeah, I guess there's more mm-hmm. more door to to walk in, which is good. You know, you got to start mm-hmm. from somewhere. There's more, yeah. and I think in general, I think the having more information out there makes it safer for everybody. Oh, even, yeah, even you know, in Japan, sometimes... that, uh, you don't have to go to all the dojo system. And some people, like Kazuchika Okada, choose Ultimo Dragons Dragon uh, that uh, Toriumon before New Japan. He went to Mexico mm-hmm. when he was fifteen. Or somebody like uh, Kota Ibushi came from a total independent scene. Total, like not even. I, I think maybe even below independent, like a like a, a college, like college right, wrestling. Yeah, like or a pro right? style college wrestling, like a so subculture. Like a pro wrestling yeah, club. Yeah, like a play pro wrestling, right? Yeah, that's something that's more popular over in Japan than in the states. Every college has. I think it. within states, yeah. right? But over here, it, it grew into like backyard wrestling, that, that's which was also, bigger twenty years but ago. That, most of most of the backyard wrestlers will become independent wrestler, and if you're talented enough, you'll be yeah. young bucks. I, I think, yes, one out of every hundred, uh, few hundred. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Especially, you know, especially during the the big uh, boom during the late '90s, there were so many f- people that wanted to play wrestling in your back, yeah, yeah, with your trampling yeah. in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. Mm, so. Okay, so if anybody has questions, or if we didn't hit on uh, a school or territory or or certain, I guess, it, it, system, I have to realize that, that it evolved with time. It evolved with time. I mean, even the like the PC, the NXT PC. It seems like it's evolved a lot within the past ten yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Because well, they've I mean, done. Uh, have you seen the videos ex- inside? Experience like, with uh, the experiment, I should say, o- Ohio Valley or Florida Championship Wrestling, or they even had wrestling school in Atlanta, and it's had a, quite a few different experiment before they hit the PC in the performance center idea. That's yeah. right. 
and and it's evolved not just like in um, developing curriculum for wrestlers, but also if you've seen the interior of this PC, it's like uh, it's stock has everything that uh, you would need, yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah. right? It has amazing uh, exercise equipment, loads of rings. Eight rings. Uh, th th they do promo class. Yeah. They do, and you have uh, a trainer and 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 the doctor there, dietitian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they're the elite. So it's um, yeah. Mm. And and they're the first too, mm -hmm. as far as that goes. It's it's the first kind of. This is how we do uh our wrestling. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the AEW this, will be doing something person. similar soon. I wonder, yeah, I don't know how it would work because it's AEW seems like it works more alongside the indies, which would support local and so schools. many guys. I don't know. You know, fly themselves in to get just to get auditioned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a different method too. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, of course, it's going to change, and um, and I'm sure we could even do an entire episode just talking about the Japanese school system because of how different. Okay, it is. we might do that episode. And, and uh, actually, if you heard the news, uh, New Japan's even expanding their school and promotion out into Australia, into Oceania yeah, area. Yeah, with uh, bad news, Fale. Oh, bad luck, luck Fale. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that was a different New Japan. Uh, bad, bad news, Alan. Right, Alan Cole. Right, he was also right. Dojo also New Japan. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was both. Uh, but uh, Fale has his own uh, dojo down in New mm -hmm. Zealand, mm -hmm. and uh, they're they're going to form their own little brand there. Also, he'll be a pioneer in that area. Yeah, I mean both the wrestling and, and uh, business. It, it, it also shows on one side you have the, the you can call it the Triple H method, and on the other side you have the Katsuyori Shibata method yeah. of teaching. Trainee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's still like you were talking about earlier, uh, how you know some of the the trainees that went through the New Japan LA Dojo recently, they weren't really trained uh, in the ring. Until you know, a couple months in, they would they would just grapple, they would do submission wrestling, yeah. and keep them you know not in the dark, but um, it, it wasn't about uh, learning. Yeah, how so to they're American New Japan correctly. style wrestlers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think about how that philosophy I mean, has. This method it's also works. Part look of at today's Jay wrestling. White. Yeah, oh, I mean he's, he's a perfect, perfect product, product of the for dojo. New Japan dojo. And he had he never worked anyplace else. Yeah. Like what like uh he's this is what we can create. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's okay. just like we can talk well, about this forever. We... <laughs> I know. All, all kinds. kinds. All yeah. kinds. So yeah, if we if you have questions or anything, where can we reach uh, you? On Twitter, Fumihiko at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Please message me first. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. That's it for this week. Until next time, for me, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Write that, write that. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.